Hey, welcome to Sunday School. I'm glad you're here. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. You're listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. We are the College and 20-somethings ministry of New Life Church. And then after you're done greeting people in the name of the Lord, would you turn to Psalm chapter 2? And I encourage you to turn in your paper Bibles. We have paper Bibles on all the tables. We're going to read all of Psalm 2 today. We're going to read all of Esther chapter 1 and most of Esther chapter 2. We're going to read almost three passages, three chapters of Scripture today, so I'm excited about that. Psalm 2 is about the nations and kings gathering together against the Lord. So this is the earth, and there's kings on the earth, and they are banning together and rising up against the Lord. And here's what the Lord has to say about that. So Psalm 2 is usually ascribed to David, although it doesn't say that in the introduction of Psalms, this particular Psalm, like some Psalms do. Um, But it says this, Psalm 2, why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth, so there's kings today, like there was in the ancient world, rising up and rulers banding together against the Lord and against his anointed. So people are gathering together and saying, let's, let's serve ourselves. Let's, let's make a mockery of the things of the Lord and get rich and get famous and get powerful. They're rising together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains. Let us throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven. So if you're wondering what the Lord thinks about this, when people band together and plot horrible things to get rich and famous and powerful and to go against the Lord, well, the, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them with his wrath, saying, I've installed my king. So the Lord has a king, a king on Zion. And we would say as Christians, that's the Messiah. That's the king of kings. That's the Lord of lords. That's Jesus. He's installed his king on Zion, the holy mountain. And this is what I will proclaim. So that the person writing the psalmist says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you're my son. Today I've become your father. I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. And then you will break these kings that are banding together. You will break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry. And your way will lead to destruction. Because the Lord's wrath could flare up in a moment, but this last sentence of this chapter, but blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let's pray. God, we thank you that, that you are a holy God, that you are one who does care about the things going on on earth, that you are one who will make right the wrong things that are done, whether they're things done by us, whether they're things done by great people, whether they're things done by kings and rulers. Lord, you are the judge. You are ultimately the great King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we love you. We praise you as your followers, as your servants. We worship you in your holy name. You're a good God. And everybody screamed. Amen. Amen. All right, here's a picture of, uh, if you looked at it really quickly, you might say, oh, that looks like um, the uh, Abu Ghraib. Did anybody think that? Like the, the, about years ago, 11 years ago, more than that now, uh, a prison camp uh, that was, that was un, um, unchecked, and the guards abused the prisoners in such a way. And that, that's not this picture. This picture is of a, 
of a psychological experiment in the 70s. It's called the Stanford Experiment. Has anybody ever heard of this? You take Psych 101? Lots of people have. It's a fascinating experiment that could never be redone because it really led to abuse of the prisoners. But what they did was they got 24 college people and said, hey, we'll, we'll pay you. It's like during the summer, college kids are off. It's like, we'll, we'll pay you for, for two weeks of uh, hanging out with us. We're going to do an experiment. It's basically, we're going to do a mock uh, prison, prison guard thing, and we're going to do experiment, and we're going to pay you. And so I imagine some of you would be like, yeah, sure, why not? We'll, we'll, go, we'll go live, you know, free room and board while this experiment's going on. We just get to play prisoner, prisoner guard for a little while. And what they found was... Um, very quickly, the prisoners were unchecked and allowed to do whatever they want. They were just—it was like a game, basically. Like, take care of these prisoners and make sure they submit to your rules. That was basically all they were told. And the prison guards took that authority. I mean, I think it just says something about human nature. They took that job really seriously, and they started punishing the prisoners. And here you see a prisoner being humiliated with a bag on his head. It's like, who told you to do that? Like, they just decided, like, oh, here's what, here's what we need to do. We need to do that. We need to punish these prisoners because there was, like, uh, some of them were trying to revolt. And so, well, let's take away their food. Let's take away their blankets. Let's humiliate them in all these different ways that we can. And eventually, it was like, this is leading literally to psychological torture uh, of these prisoners just in this mock game. If you've heard of this experiment, you've learned about it, you might even know more than what I've just told you. It's like, wow, that really happened? Like, who told the prison guards to do that? Nobody did. I think it's just human nature. It's when you have power to take your power and, and put other people down, to put them in their place, and that is not the way of the Lord. That is not what the Lord's kingdom is all about. I have a quote for you. It's on the back of your notes. There's always a sweet quote that uh, is picked out for the lesson. And this quote is by a Christian who lived in the 1800s, John Dalbert Acton. He was an English Christian, a historian, a politician, and a writer. And he's very famous for this quote. You've probably heard this quote before uh, without knowing who it was, but there he is, a picture of him. Uh, it says this, power tends to corrupt. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. So like, if you have absolute power, it's going to corrupt. Great men are almost always bad men. And so today in the Mill Sunday School, we're going to continue our series on Esther. And specifically today, we're going to look at this character study of the king in the book of Esther. Do, do you know his name? Starts with a Zerk, ends with a C's. <laughs> Good. So we're going to look at him. And he was a bad guy. He was someone who was very corrupted by ultimate power. And he was one of these guys that would be in the quote, like a good, a powerful man is almost always a corrupt man. So let's uh, do this. Maybe just a few quick announcements, and then we'll jump into the book of Esther. Uh, if you're new to the Most Sunday School, we have little cards for you on your table. Should be one if you want to fill it out and bring it to the back as you leave. We have a book for you and a, and a CD. Uh, our book is written by our senior pastor. The CD is our worship band. It's a gift for you. So fill that out and bring it back. Uh, no pressure to do so. You could put as much or as little information as you want on there. We won't take advantage of your email or phone call if you don't want. But uh, if you do want, call or email. Learn more about college and 20-somethings ministry at New Life. Well, then do it. I, I will personally call you if you would like. So 
I think that's all for announcements. Turn to the book of Esther, if you will. And I would highly encourage you to turn into a paper Bible instead of your phone because my temptation when I, when I pull out my device to use my Bible is to check my... T- it's just like, oh, I pulled out my phone. I have to check to see what text, what emails, what's going on. So to, to lay aside those temptations of distraction, if you have a paper Bible um, in front of you, use that unless you really, really trust yourself with your phone, which, which I don't. So turn in your paper Bible uh, to the book of Esther. If you find the book of Psalms, turn a little earlier. You'll find the book of Job. If you turn a little earlier, you will find the book of Esther. <clears throat> We're going to read all of chapter 1 together, kind of talk about it as we go, a verse-by-verse study. And uh, we're really going to talk about this guy today, who is the subject of chapter one altogether and pretty much half of chapter two. And it's this guy, Xerxes, the king. And here's an ancient, uh, I guess, a photograph of a, of a stone sculpture of Xerxes, the Persian king of all of Persia. And here's a modern day picture of him. He is probably, <coughs> some historians are somewhat argue about which Xerxes this was, but most of them say, oh, this Xerxes was the same Xerxes that uh, is portrayed in the movie 300. And by the way, don't, if you're like, oh, I haven't seen that movie, I'll go out and watch it. Don't go out and watch it. I'm not telling you to do so. It's very violent. There's sexual scenes. So uh, Xerxes is the guy, if you have seen the film 300, it's about a real battle that happened in history. However, it's wildly over-the-top, exaggerated, and it, it, it's, it, it's a movie. It's not meant to be a historical film. So Xerxes is this guy from Persia that goes to Greece and tries to take it over. He ends up losing. He does not take over Greece. But there's this very famous battle of Thermopylae, which uh, is the battle that 300, the movie, or the cartoon, I guess, in the 90s, was, was uh, made after. And supposedly a huge number of Persians, something like most historians today are some would say something like maybe 100,000 Persians go to Greece to take over Greece, and there is this battle in which maybe 7,000, so 7,000 versus 100,000, the the odds are not in the favor of the Greeks, but there's some Spartans there who are like the hero warrior peoples. Um, You can look up more about the Spartans, fascinating civilization. But they make a great stand, 7,000 against 100,000. They make a great stand. They end up losing that battle, but then winning the war, and the Persians do not take over uh, Greece. But we're talking about this guy. And as we talk about this guy who was very corrupted, I want to give you a second to, to maybe re-meet the people at your table and to talk about something that will, that will catapult us into this discussion about the kingdoms of earth versus the kingdoms of heaven. And so here's your discussion question. It shouldn't take you too long to just list 10 things. So assign somebody to be a scribe, somebody with the best handwriting, um, and list just 10 things. So they could be good things or bad things. List 10 characteristics, 10 or more, that describe a powerful secular leader, either today or in history. Think about powerful secular leaders and list some characteristics. Ready, get set, discuss. All right. Did, you, how many ta- did any table actually list 10 in the short time I gave you? One, two, three, four tables. All right, I got stickers for tables that Stephen, the, the, the sticker hander outer. Stephen is our official sticker hand router. Um, so what kind of things did you say? I'll come out and just so yell, maybe yell the good things. For every leader, if you're some sort of leader of any kind, there's good characteristics and bad characteristics. So what are some good things about powerful secular leaders? 
Charisma, charismatic, Patrick. Brave. What? <laughs> they have nice beards. <laughs> nice jawlines. <laughs> uh, I listed a few. I listed uh, they have good leadership skills of some sort. They have motivation, ambition, which can, it could be good or bad. Uh, in a democracy like where we live, well, they probably have some sort of at least an apparent desire to help people and the masses, although sometimes that is strewed by ambition and you kind of find out later that, oh, they just wanted the power. Um, but what about bad things? Bad things of secular powerful leaders? Sly with words, pride, tyrannical, greedy. Um, wait, what did you say? Wise in his own eyes, can do whatever he wants, makes up rules as he goes. I put greed, power, power hungry, hungry for fame, no humility, lacking of a willingness to make, uh, admit mistakes or make admins for mistakes because they don't have to if they're that powerful, always plotting for more. Well, these are some of the characteristics of Xerxes. And so turn to the book of Esther. You should already be there. And we are going to read. I'm, so read along with me. Uh, we're going to read all of chapter one. And we'll pause along the way. And I'll put up some pictures along the way to kind of help us with our imagination of this story. But the book of Esther is a really good read. I personally think it is the best reading in all of the Bible, at least as far as like short story goes, like plot character development, twist, foreshadowing, the climax of the story, then some resolution. It's, it's, some, it's a really good reading. Um, raise your hand if you've read the book of Esther. Okay, almost everybody. But, so if you haven't read it, read it. It'll take you about 20 minutes, and it'll be, it's really entertaining. It's good reading, and it, there's a lot to learn here. So it says this. Uh, this is what happened during the reign of Xerxes. The Xerxes, who ruled over 127 provinces, stretching from India to Kush. Your, your translation might say Upper Egypt or the Nile region. Is that a big area or not a big area? That's a huge area. Here's a map of this area of the ancient Persian Empire. And this is, by land mass, the largest of the ancient empires to have ever existed. Like, consider Greece, consider... Uh, the Babylonians considered the Egyptians out of recorded history that we know of in the ancient world. Uh, this is the largest by landmass empire to have existed in the ancient world. If, if I ask the question, is the Persian Empire big? Your answer should be yes, huge, very big, the biggest of the ancient worlds. And here's this king over all this land over the biggest ancient of empires that have ever existed. Verse 2 said, at that, at that time, Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. And in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet or a party for all his nobles and officials, the military leaders, the Persians, the Medes, uh, the princes, and the nobles of the provinces who were present. So here's an, a little arrow pointing to where Susa is located, modern-day uh, Iran, if my mapping skills are correct. Um, so he's sort of the center of this empire. And it says this, for a full 180 days, this is verse 4, he displayed his vast wealth. So he's taking selfies of himself, saying like, hashtag best party ever, hashtag I'm the best, hashtag whatever, uh, for 180 days. Is that, a lo- is that a long party? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been to like overnight parties, like around... Uh, uh, 
the New Year's. It's like, oh, wow, this cool party started in the afternoon and ended in the morning. Oh, that's pretty cool. But 180 days to throw a party just to show your wealth? This guy is on a roll. The splendor and glory of his majesty. But when these days were over, what do you think he did once 180 days of partying were over? Well, it says that he throws another party. Uh, why not? You know, 180 days of partying aren't enough. You'll end it with a bang. Verse 5 says, When these days were over, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all the people, least to the greatest, who were there in the citadel of Susa. So imagine throwing a party for like all of Colorado Springs for seven days. Pretty crazy. Verse 6 says, The garden had hangings with white and blue linens, uh, fastened with cords of white linen and purple material, and silver rings and marble pillars. So he's just showing off his wealth. There were couches of gold. Is that what that says? Does that sound comfortable? But, but it's, it's showing off his great wealth. And silver, a mosaic pavement of portery, marble, mother of pearl, other costly stones, and wine was served in goblets, each one different from the other. This is a party of parties. So the party started for 180 days. I mean, think about how many, I looked up like, how many days are we from the new year? We're something like 129 days from January 1st. So imagine, like whatever you did on January 1st, whatever party you went to, imagine if that party was still going on now. Like forget about work, forget about school, You've just been partying since January 1st, and your party will continue on for another 50 or so days. Like, this is at the point of, like, being ridiculous and stupid. This king is showing off his wealth for 180 days, and then it's like, well, let's end with a bang. Let's do another seven days of partying with everyone. And I'm sure he's, he's doing the selfie thing, saying, like, so humbled to have thrown the greatest party in history. Um, and as a side note, why do people start off like bragging Instagram, Facebook, Twitter posts with so humbled to be the best? It's like, no, you're not humbled. You're honored to be the best. Call yourself out next time you're like, oh, I just want to put, I'm so humbled to be, you know, have this new car and be the best person ever. So humbled to have won the best human award ever. Um, no, that's not, that's the exact opposite of humility. So call yourself out. Don't call anybody else out unless you're ready to remove the plank from your own eye, but call yourself out uh, next time you want to brag and show off. Learn a lesson here from Xerxes uh, and his lack of humility. So he throws this party, lasts a really long time. Everyone has their own cup, and the cups are all different from one another. Here's a picture of what a cup could be looking like. This is an ancient artifact from ancient Persia. So maybe something like this. Uh, everyone had their own cup, and the cups were all different, and they were costly cups. And verse 7 says that wine was served in goblets of gold. Each one was different from the other. The royal wine was abundant in keeping with the king's liberality. Verse 8 says, by the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink with no restriction. So like, how much are they allowed to drink? No restriction whatsoever. For the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished. So this is not just a, a birthday party of like a three-year-old. This is like a raging idiots getting together and just drinking as much as they can kind of party. And meanwhile, the queen is throwing her own party. Verse 9. So imagine the king drinking after 187 days. He's probably going to make some stupid decisions. And here's one of them. So meanwhile... 
His queen, his wife, verse 9 says, Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the woman in the royal palace of King Xerxes. Verse 10, on the seventh day when King Xerxes was high in his spirits from the wine, a.k.a. he's hammered, he's wasted, uh, he has a great idea. (laughs) He commanded his seven eunuchs to serve him. And they'll list the seven eunuchs. Mamukin, Biztha, Harbotha, uh, Biztha, Harmona, Harbona, Bigtha, Abaktha, Zethar, and Carcass. That's my favorite one. <clears throat> Verse 11, what are they supposed to do? Well, they're going to bring before him Queen Vashti wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to all the peoples and the nobles, for she was lovely to look at. Sounds about like an idea that someone would have after drinking 187 days. It's like, oh, I've got a great idea. I'm going to bring the queen in, and she's just going to parade herself around. Stupid idea. And here's the picture. that In, in this picture, there's the, the, one of the uh, eunuchs saying, hey, the, the king wants to see you. And she says, of course, no way. This is the stupidest idea I've ever heard of. Has he been drinking for 187 days? Yeah, he has. Well, that sounds about right. Verse 12. When the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. Then the king became furious and burned with anger. He's wasted. He's mad. He's upset. He's not thinking clearly. So verse 13 says, Well, it's customary for the king to consult experts in the matter of law and justice. And he spoke with the wise men who understood the times, the, the people who were closest to the kings. Carcassian, Sethar, Amadatha, Tarshish, Merez, Mershena, and Mamukin. Against my, my favorite is Mamukin. Um, these were the seven nobles of Persia and Media who had special access to the king and were the highest in the kingdom. And by the way, if you read it, uh, these were the same nobles that were there with the king already drinking for 180 days, and then here they are at the end of the seven days drinking, so they're probably also just not able to make the best of decisions. And they say this, verse 15, according to the law, what must be done to Queen Vashti? Because she was told to come and she didn't, she has not obeyed the command of the King Xerxes that the eunuchs have given to her. Verse 16, the Mamukin replied, uh, in the presence of the king and the nobles, Queen Vashti has done wrong, not only against the king, but against all the nobles and the peoples of all the providences of King Xerxes. It's like, really? Like that escalated quickly. Like she just didn't want to come to his little party. And now she's done wrong to the entire kingdom. Uh, whatever. Verse 17, for the queen's conduct will become known to all women, and so they will despise their husbands and say, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she wouldn't come. So it's like, it sounds like the kind of logic a bunch of men would have after drinking for 187 days. Like, oh, because the queen didn't do this, the whole world's going to end. Um, Verse 18, that very day, the Persian and Median women of the nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to the kings and the nobles in the same way. And then this sentence, there will be no end of the disrespect and discord. All women, totally out of control. Why? Because Queen Vashti refused to come to a party. So they're, they're in their minds, they're just, it sounds logical to them. They've been drinking for 187 days. It's like, oh, the whole kingdom is about to fall, so we need to do something about it. Verse 19, therefore, if it pleases the king, let, it, let us issue a royal decree and let it be written in the law of the Persians and the Medians, which cannot be repealed, that Vashti is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes. And let also the king give her royal position to someone else who is better than she. When the king's edict is proclaimed throughout all the vastness of the realm, 
all the women will then respect their husbands from the least to the greatest. (laughs) Sounds about right, doesn't it? Like guys alone partying like crazy have this great idea. Oh, we'll make it right. We'll just put out a law and make sure everyone in the whole kingdom knows that Queen Vashti is not allowed to see the king anymore. Can you see the idiocy here? Anybody else? It's like a little, a little overreacting, I would say so. But isn't it funny how in our, um, like when we like somebody, anybody like somebody? <laughs> You're like, oh, and, uh, <laughs> if you like someone and then you tell them that you like them or that you tell them, can you come and, and, and come to my party? Uh, and then they say, no, do you like them anymore? Probably not. You probably despise, like a part of our human nature, which is, by the way, not good. It's not right. It's not holy. It's not of the Lord. Is when you give your heart to somebody and they don't want it, well, then you begin to despise them and hate them. And you just, you just don't want anything to do with them. Um, and that's just part of human nature. You hear people talking about their ex-husbands or ex-boyfriends or ex-wives or ex-husbands. And it's like, Gosh, like the amount of hatred that you have, that is not right. That is not biblical. Maybe you should get a shirt that says this, just to protect your heart. Um, (laughs) Just kidding. The shirt says, I love my ex-girlfriend. But aren't we called to love our enemies? Aren't we called to love everyone, even people that have hurt us? Sure. So anyways, the king, getting back to the story. Verse 21 So the kings and the nobles were pleased with this advice. Why would they be pleased with such idiot advice? Well, they're wasted. They've been drinking for 187 days. So the king did as Mamukin proposed. He sent dispatches to all the parts of the kingdom and each of the providence its own script to make sure people in their own language proclaiming that every man should be ruler over his own household using their native tongue. So the king sends out this law saying every man needs to be the head or the ruler over his own household, which is somewhat maybe a little contrary to Ephesians 5, where it says, husbands uh, love your wives. That passage about husbands and wives starts off with, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So getting to the rest of the story, chapter 2, the book of Esther. I told you we're going to read a lot. There's more to read. So Esther chapter 2, well, we'll introduce this character of Esther, but not quite yet. A little bit more about Xerxes and how silly he is, um, how tyrannical he is. Silly is not quite a strong enough of a word. But Esther chapter 2, verse 1. Later, when King Xerxes' has fury had subsided, why is he so mad? Just because he asked his wife to come and she didn't come, he gets so upset. Uh, he remembered Vashti and all that he had done and what he had decreed about her. The message translation of the Bible says that he had second thoughts. Well, surely he did. Of course he overreacted. Just because he asked Vashti to come and she said no, now she's out. Now he's going to get a new queen. It's it's very overreacting. Uh, Only something that powerful and that corrupted of a man would probably do. Verse 2 says, The king's personal attendants proposed, Let us uh, search for a beautiful young virgin for the queen. Verse 3 Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem at the citadel of Susa. So you remember how big his kingdom was. So he's he's going out, sending sending people out to get all of the beautiful young virgins 
so that he can, I mean, we're going to learn this. This dude is pretty bad. He's going to systematically sleep with every one of them. And then out of those young, beautiful virgins, he is going to pick one. Can anybody say disgusting? Yeah, it's just not, I mean, there will be a time of judgment and maybe there already has, depending on your eschatological viewpoints, where Xerxes will stand before the Lord and have to give an account for doing such a horrible thing. Because some of the, the verbiage here is that let the search be made, let them be brought. And how old are these girls? Well, the ancient marrying age was much younger than our uh, United States marrying age. Some historians said, well, the Probably a pretty good guess for how old these girls were, were maybe 14, 15, 16-year-old girls are being brought to his palace so that he can systematically sleep with every single one of them. And then out of them, pick a wife. This dude is a bad dude. This dude is tyrannical. He will pay for his sins before the Lord. It's not, you know, sometimes the book of Esther is made into these cartoons, and there's actually a pretty good cartoon, Veggie Tales, that has you know, made a nice children's story out of, this, out of this story. But this is not a cute fairy tale kind of story. This is a tyrannical idiot with too much power that has been corrupted and is doing some pretty horrible things. So, continuing on, uh, here's maybe a picture of, of someone being taken, a young girl being taken. This, by definition, is what human trafficking is, by the way. Um, the King, King Xerxes is like systematically getting women to come to him uh, by use of power and his, his power in politics. This is human trafficking. This is bad. Verse 5 says this, Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jahar, son of Shemi, son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar the king, among those uh, taken captive by Jehoiakim, king of Judah. So that you're like, how does a Jewish person get to Persia? Well, they were taken captive by the Babylonians, and then the Persians took over the Babylonians. And here is where uh, our heroine of the story comes about. Verse 7 says, Mordecai had a cousin named Hadessa, who he had brought up because she had neither father or mother. Who's Hadessa? We'll keep reading. The young woman was also known as Esther. That's her Persian name. So if you want a piece of Bible trivia and someone ever asks you, hey, what's Esther's real name? What's her Hebrew name? The answer would be Hadessa. And so now you know, Uh, because that's only mentioned here this one time. And she was a lovely girl. She had a beautiful figure, and Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. So an older cousin, we don't know how much older, uh, probably quite a bit older, enough to be a paternal uh, figure in in Esther or uh, Hadessa's life. And she is taken to this harem. Verse 8 says, When the king's order and edict have been proclaimed. So it's an order. It's an edict. It's not just, hey, if any girls want to come to my house and try out for being my wife, Come on over. No, this is like an order and an edict uh, was proclaimed. Many young women were brought. They didn't come. They were brought to the citadel of Susa and taken under the care of Haggai. Esther was also taken. You know, that, that word there, it's, was, was it by force? What choice did she have in the matter? We don't know to be sure. But to the king's palace entrusted by Haggai, who was in charge of the harem, she pleased him. So she pleased this, the, the leader of this harem. Uh, and won his favor, immediately providing her with her beauty treatments and special food. And so Esther is a woman of women. She uh, gets his favor. 
And he assigned her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. So she has quite a bit of favor. Maybe like uh, I'm reminded of the story of Joseph in the, in the book of Genesis, who just has this favor, has this charisma, wins the favor of people uh, and is, is blessed by the Lord in that way. Verse 10, Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background. What's her family background nationality? She's Jewish. She's Hebrew. because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Verse 11, every day she walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem. Every day he, so Mordecai's checking up on her every day in the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Do your parents check up on you every day? Anybody? Yes? Well, that's a good thing. They love you. That's why they're doing that. So carrying on, uh, verse 12, before a young woman's turn came to go with King Xerxes, Wait a minute, like he is literally like systematically sleeping with all these women and there's like an order to it and he will be judged for this. Um, She had to do this. She had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed by the women, six months with oil and myrrh, six months with perfumes and cosmetics. It was like a year of getting ready to see the king. You had to be ready. You had to be trained. You had to be perfumed up and oiled up and lots of cosmetics. Verse 13 says... And this is how she would go to the queen, a king. Anything she wanted was given to her uh, to take from her with, to, to, from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go there, and in the morning, she would return. So what did they do? They could have played Scrabble. They could have watched reruns of Seinfeld. They could have done a lot of different things, but it's obviously to be assumed that the king would take advantage. The king would be allowed to do whatever he wanted to this young, beautiful virgin. He would take her virginity away, and he would never see her again. And how do I know that? Well, it says it. Um, He returned in the morning to another part of the harem in the care of Shishag, Shishazag, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. So this dude is a bad dude. If you've never thought of the book of Esther like this, uh, you should. This is a pretty bad dude, Xerxes, systematically taking advantage, you could say raping all the young women he wanted to in his kingdom for one night and then never to see them again unless the king liked them enough and called for her by name. It's pretty gross, pretty horrible of a story. Verse 15 says, when the turn came for Esther... Uh, the young woman Mordecai had adopted the daughter of his uncle Abigail uh, to go to the king. She asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the harem, suggested. So again, she's using her knowledge, her wisdom, her power to win the favor. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her, sort of gift of God that Esther has. She was taken to the king Xerxes and the royal residence in the 10th month, in the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. And verse 16, 17 says, Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So she must have been something wonderful if out of the entire kingdom she was the one the king uh, wants to be with. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Verse 18 uh, and the king gave her a banquet, Esther's banquet, for all the nobles and officers, officials, and he proclaimed a holiday throughout the providence, <clears throat> excuse me, and dis- t- distributed gifts with royal liberty. So here's this story. 
that part of the story is kind of cool because it's like, oh, this girl, a Jew, the heroine of the story, she gets chosen as, as queen. But going back, just thinking about this man, this Xerxes, who has the audacity to, I mean, who does that? Who makes, I mean, what if somebody in our city, the mayor, the, the president, the governor was like, uh, I'm going to dispose of my wife <clears throat> and then I'm going to make every young, beautiful virgin girl in the entire city come every night and I'm going to sleep with a different one and I am going to systematically sleep with all of them and not, not ever see them again until I find the one that I like the most. We would say, you're going to prison for a very long time. <laughs> you're never going to be put in charge of anything anymore. Um, but Xerxes somehow gets away with this, this horrible thing that happens. And so we have renamed Xerxes, Katrina, Brian Nelson renamed him. Uh, the, I think I said this last week. We've renamed him Xerxes. What an idiot. And a jerk doesn't even kind of like begin to ascribe like this dude is a bad dude. This dude is tyrannical. This guy wants what he wants and he gets what he wants because he has power and he's corrupted. Uh, here's, so he, here's, I listed some things. He's a party animal. He takes the virginity of many, maybe countless young girls. He has a harem even while he's married. He has concubines even while he's married. From history, we know that he conquered the, 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 the empire, that's the Persian empire, and wants more and more and more. He wants to conquer the Greeks. He fails In fact, many historians say that the reason why he threw the 180-day party because he wanted to show off how great his kingdom was because he was getting ready for war to go to battle to, to to the Greeks to take over Greece, which he ends up failing and not doing. He, if we keep continue reading the book of Esther, we find out that he orders genocide. We find out that Esther, even after she's queen, isn't even allowed to see Xerxes uh, unless. She appears before Xerxes, and Xerxes extends his golden scepter. So not just anybody could say, hey, what's up, Xerxes? The punishment for saying, hey, what's up, Xerxes, was death. And if King Xerxes didn't like you that day, that's what happened. You died. You were killed because you said, what's up, Xerxes? But if he extended this gold little scepter to you, well, then you could live. What an idiot. What a, who does that? Like, what if somebody around here was like, hey, no one's allowed to talk to me anymore. If you talk to me, I'm going to hurt you unless I hold out my golden little thing here. It's like, what an idiot. What a jerk. What a moron. Um, So anyways, discussion question for you. Um, This will get to the heart of this lesson, and then we'll kind of wrap up, because how, how horrible the kingdom of Xerxes is, how horrible some of these kingdoms that have risen and fallen on this earth, let's compare that with the kingdom of God. And there are striking, you know, horrific differences between the, the Persian kingdom and the kingdom of God. So would you just maybe talk in your, in your groups? So what's the, what's the difference between the kingdom of God that we know as Christians and believers versus this kingdom of Xerxes? Would you discuss that? Ready, cassette? Discuss. So how is this uh, Persian kingdom, this kingdom of Xerxes, different than the kingdom of God? Which, as a, as a rabbit trail, side note kind of thing, uh, we will... Uh, not next week, but the week after, talk about Esther, and then the week after that, uh, talk about uh, the, this famous phrase in the book of Esther, you know, for such a time as this. That's this, you know, Mordecai goes to Esther and says, you need to talk to the king. They're about to kill all the Jews. Maybe you have become queen for such a time as this. Gives it a lot more meaning, kind of knowing, like, 
the horror and the tyrannical you know, reign of Xerxes and I'm sure the suffering Esther had to go through and the suffering she saw her uh, friends go through, sleeping with the king one night, getting their virginity taken away and never seeing the king, never, never being chosen for queen again. And this idea of this such a time as this, as, as far as this rabbit trail goes. But getting to our question here, how is this Persian kingdom different than the kingdom of God? Well, it's very different. The tyrannical leader... Xerxes is completely different than Jesus, who is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. If we have any idea of like, okay, what's a true king? What's a real king? What is the standard for all kings and kingdoms? Well, we as believers, as Christians, we'd say, ultimately, that is Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Did Jesus want to systematically destroy people and systematically take advantage of people, systematically get more land and more kingdom. No, Jesus, here's a picture of him washing the feet of his disciples, serving them. And this, I'm sure at your tables, I walked around and heard a few ideas. This is completely different than the kingdom of Xerxes. Jesus comes to serve. I don't see anywhere in the book of Esther where Xerxes is serving anyone, where Xerxes takes a second to even, for a minute, humble himself. But instead, he's, he's furious, he throws fits, he's, he's full of anger, he wants what he wants, and if he doesn't get it, well then, like what he did with Vashti, he throws her to the side. Jesus isn't like that. Jesus welcomes people into his kingdom. Jesus goes to the least of these. I, I was going to read the Beatitudes and the Beatitudes found in Matthew 5, Jesus, uh, some may say, you know, the, 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 mo- the best sermon ever given, Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount, talks about what his kingdom is like. Think about these words. If you need to close your eyes, that is good. That can be, you know, help you concentrate. But think about how different this is than the kingdom of Xerxes. When Jesus saw all the people gathered, he sat down and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God And blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And we think about these words as we kind of conclude here and wrap up. And I think going into this lecture, I was just thinking about how bad Xerxes was. Thank God that the the kingdoms of this earth are, you know, when when they rise up, when King Xerxes you know, throws fits and things. Well, we could refer back to Psalm 2. You know, what's the Lord doing in all this? The Lord scoffs. The Lord is up there, uh, at least in Psalm 2, it says he's laughing, like as if they have any power, as if they won't one day be judged. And I think about like in our own lives, the power that we have. None of us are kings of Persia, the greatest empire in the ancient world that ever was, in the ancient world at least. It's like none of us are this horrible, you know, tyrannical leader. But all of us have some authority. All of us can, you know, has, we can have the ability to take advantage of people. All of us have the ability to be tyrannical in some way. And there'll be judgment for that. There, there will be a coming, there'll be a rightening of all things that are wrong. And the things that are really right in this world are 
humility. The things that are really right in this world are being meek, being blessed because you're being persecuted, being blessed because you're showing mercy. Think about Jesus as God. Think about Jesus, the the Lord. Think about Jesus, the King of Kings. He came not to be served, as the verse says, but to serve. I mean, how different a kingdom uh, than the kingdom of Xerxes is the kingdom of Christ. And, And as we study the book of Esther, Consider Xerxes, consider the evil he did, and, and the story of how God is in control. This is like one more piece, because my, my thesis at the beginning of this study last week, I said that in the book of Esther, although the word God is not in the book, God is not referred to, I think he's indirectly referred to, and I'll, I'll talk more about that and try to prove that thesis. And then I would, I would say that, well, God is there. He's the God of the Jews, and he is over all things. And the ways of God are not the ways of Xerxes. And this, this kingdom ends up falling. We know from history that the Persian Empire is just an ancient, you know, things of the Persian Empire have long been gone. So as we conclude today, um, let's learn from Xerxes. Let's learn from someone who had a lot of power and who had a lot of corruption and how power does corrupt. And the, the quote is that absolute power corrupts absolutely. And how we as believers, need to avoid that because the ways of the kingdom of heaven are to humble ourselves. And so let's pray. Let's go before the Lord. And Father, if we've learned anything from the mistakes of, of powerful, corrupted leaders like Xerxes in the book of Esther, it's, Lord, we need to humble ourselves, to, to ask you for mercy, to ask you to cover our sins, to recognize that we are far from perfect. We are far from, from being good on our own, but it's only through you that you can bring mercy. It's only through you that you could bring peace to our lives. It's only through you that we can have forgiveness of our sins because you came to this earth. You served us. You died on a cross humbly so that we may live. So Father, we praise you. We thank you. We love serving you. We are your servants. Blessed is your kingdom. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, friends, you're dismissed. We'll see you next week for our continuation. Go in peace and don't forget to call your moms. We hope you've been spiritually encouraged by listening to this podcast. More podcasts and information about the College and 20-somethings ministry at New Life Church in Colorado Springs can be found at newlifechurch.org forward slash Sunday school.